The following is a sermon by Pastor Todd Dykstra, teaching pastor of Maranatha Bible Church of Comstock Park, Michigan. For more information, go to mbcmi.org. I think one of the most remarkable attributes of God is the fact that He loves, that He loves sinners like you and I, that He chooses to set His affection upon people like us, that God would, in His kindness and His mercy, choose to extend love to those who are the least deserving of His love. God is the essence of love. He is a God who is the never-ending source of love, and He is the one who is always acting in loving ways. This is a tremendous part of God's nature, His attributes. He is love. 1 John 4, verses 7 and 8 says, Let us love one another, for love is from God, and everyone who loves is born of God and knows God. The one who does not love does not know God, for God is love. God is the standard of love. He is the epitome of love. John, 1 John 4, verse 16 says, We have come to know and have believed the love which God has for us, for God is love. John 3.16, the most famous book or the most famous verse in the Bible, says it well. You know what it says. For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son. Romans 5 verse 8 says that while we were yet sinners, God demonstrated His own love for us by sending Christ. God is the standard of love. And we love the fact that God is love because we are the recipients of God's love, His abundant, sovereign, incomprehensible love. Unfortunately, many people believe, though, that that is the sum total of God's attributes, that they believe that God is only love. They they believe that when you boil God's character and and His essence down, He is really essentially only love. That is not the case, because the God who loves also hates. The same God who loves is the God who hates. In fact, the Bible speaks as much about the hatred of God as it does the love of God. God is a God who hates all that is evil. He hates all that is defiled. He hates all that is perverse. Holy hatred is a part of who God is. It is part of His essence. It is part of His nature. In fact, we would say, if God does not hate, then He's not loving. For to be loving, it necessitates that God also hates what is not helpful for His creatures and what is opposed to His holiness. In other words, to not hate what is opposite of love is to not truly love. There are many things and people whom God hates. That's pretty strong. That jars us. That those kind of statements shock us because we don't live in a world that wants to think of God like that. In fact, if you go out in the world, most people believe and imagine God is strictly a God of love. And if you go to many churches, what you're going to hear preached is that God is strictly love. But we need to say very clearly what the Bible says, and that is that God hates certain things and certain things people. Many people have said, and you've maybe said it as I have in the past, that God hates the sin but loves the sinner. That's not true. That's not true. And maybe you've heard that God is an unconditional God and that He loves unconditionally. That's not true. Because what that communicates and what that implies is that God loves you just the way that you are and there's nothing about you that needs to change. And if you're a sinner, that is a serious problem. God does not love unconditionally. Yes, God is a God of love, but God also Let me give you some examples this morning of what God hates. God hates wicked people. 
God hates wicked people. Romans 9, verse 13, you know it well. Jacob I loved, Esau I hated. Romans 5, verse, I'm sorry, Psalm 5, verse 5 says, The boastful shall not stand before your eyes. You hate all who do iniquity. Psalm 11, verse 5 says, The Lord tests the righteous and the wicked, and the one who loves violence, his soul hates. Coming to the New Testament, Revelation 2, verse 6 says, You do this, or yet this you do have, that you hate the deeds of the, of the Nicolaitans, which I also hate. Did you know that God hates wicked, violent, evil people? And He doesn't just hate their sin, He hates them. And the reason we know that is because God does not send sin to hell, He sends people to hell. God does not just judge lies, He sends liars to hell. God does not just judge adulterers and send adultery to hell, He actually sends adulterers to hell. God hates and abhors wicked people. God also hates idolaters. There's a second category that God hates. God hates idolaters. He despises the worship of anything, of anyone other than himself. Leviticus 20, verse 23 says, You shall not follow the customs of the nation which I will drive out before you, for they did all these things, and therefore I have abhorred them. God says, I abhorred the nations who engaged in idolatry. Deuteronomy 7, verse 25 says, The graven images of their gods you are to burn with fire. You shall not covet the silver or the gold that is on them, nor take it for yourselves, or you will be snared by it, for it is an abomination to the Lord your God. God hates idolaters because he's jealous for his glory. There's a third category. God hates sexual immorality. He hates sexual immorality. In Leviticus 18, he calls homosexuality a perversion. It is perverse. He hates it. Deuteronomy 22, verse 5, he calls those who engage in cross-dressing and transgenderism an abomination to the Lord your God. God hates perversions of what he has given to a husband and a wife in the context of marriage. He hates sexual immorality. Here's a fourth category. He also hates hypocrisy. God hates hypocrites. He hates those who engage in worship to the letter of the law, to the exclusion of the spirit of the law. He hates those who go through the motions of worship and pretend to bring them their best when, in fact, they actually don't. It is detestable to God, hypocrisy. Deuteronomy 17, verse 1 says, You shall not sacrifice to the Lord your God an ox or a sheep which has a blemish or any defect, for that is detestable to the Lord your God. Isaiah 1, verses 13 and 14, bring your worthless offerings no longer. Incense is an abomination to me. New moon and Sabbath, the calling of assemblies, I cannot endure iniquity in the solemn assembly. I hate your new moon festivals and your appointed feasts. They have become a burden to me. Do you realize that God hates certain things? And that it is loving for him to hate those things that are inconsistent with his nature and inconsistent with his holiness and those things that do harm to his people. God hates this. And what's hard for us as believers to wrap our minds around is the fact that we hate at times, but our hate is laced with sin. So it's hard for us to conceive of a God who also hates in a way that's not filled with sin. This is what the Bible teaches, that God can hate without sinful intent. That's nothing we can do. We cannot hate without sinful intent. Usually, most of us, when we hate and engage in vengeance, are doing so from a selfish, sinful anger, but not God. God hates without sinful intent. So we need to understand as believers that there are certain things about God that He loves and certain things about God that He hates. And it is this that Solomon comes to address here in Proverbs chapter 6. We are, of course, working our way through these opening nine chapters of Proverbs. 
There are ten lectures of Solomon to his son, knowing that he's about to embark upon a life of his own, and he wants to impress upon his son, again, the importance of choosing wisdom over folly. And so in the course of ten lectures, Solomon is exhorting his son and pleading with him to choose wisdom at all costs. He wants to spare him the regret that comes from living life in a broken world and having to learn the hard way. And so he's pleading with his son and exhorting his son to see all of life from God's perspective and to live his life in the fear of the Lord. And so he's issuing him 10 lectures to communicate to him the importance of this wisdom. We're in the eighth lecture this morning. We started it last week. It begins at the beginning of chapter 6. Number 9 starts in verse 20 of this chapter. Number 10 starts in verse 1 of chapter 7. So we're going to finish this morning the eighth lecture of Solomon to his son on the importance of wisdom. You remember last week we began the first part of chapter 6 in the first few verses where in the first five verses we learned the the danger of liabilities, of signing your name as a co-signer on a loan. He warns his son about that. And then in verse 6 through 9, he warns his son about the dangers of laziness and procrastination and not working hard and lack of diligence. And he warns his son about, about these things. Now he comes in verses 12 to 19. He's going to show us the kind of people he hates. And he's doing so because he wants his son to, number one, not become this person, and number two, to avoid this kind of person. So he wants his son to learn to run with the righteous and not cater to the carnal. And in order to do that, he, he has to understand then what kind of things bring God to the point of violent reaction against sin, the kind of the things that ignite God's wrath and fury. Solomon wants his son to be aware of those things so he can live a life of wisdom. Listen to verses 12 to 19. Solomon writes, a worthless person, a wicked man, is the one who walks with a perverse mouth, who winks with his eyes, who signals with his feet, who points with his fingers, who with perversity in his heart continually devises evil, who spreads strife. Therefore, his calamity will come suddenly, instantly he will be broken and there will be no healing. There are six things which the Lord hates, yes, seven which are an abomination to him, haughty eyes, a lying tongue, Hands that shed innocent blood, a heart that devises wicked plans, feet that run rapidly to evil, a false witness who utters lies, and one who spreads strife among brothers. Notice in those verses, it is not just sins God hates. He hates people who engage in those things as a lifestyle. And I want you to notice that there is a connection between the first four verses and the last four verses. Between verses 12 to 15 and verses 16 to 19, there is a close connection between those. That's why we're taking them together. And so I want you to notice a couple things. I want you to notice, first of all, that both of those sections deal with body parts. He's dealing with body parts to communicate the the depth of the wickedness of this kind of individual. Notice in verse 13, he refers to eyes, and in verse 17, he refers to eyes. Notice in verse 12, he refers to the mouth, and in verse 17, he refers to the tongue. Notice in verse 13, he talks about fingers on a hand. In verse 17, he deals with hands that shed innocent blood. Notice in verse 14, he refers to a heart that devises evil. In verse 18, also a heart that devises evil. Notice verse 13, he talks about feet, signaling with your feet. And in verse 18, he talks about feet that run rapidly to evil. And then verse 12, again, the mouth. And verse 19, a false witness who utters lies. There's a connection between these two verses, these two sections. The second thing I want you to notice is what they result in. Notice verse 14, what this kind of wickedness results in. It results in the end of verse 14, the spreading of strife. And notice verse 19, that does the same thing. It results in one who spreads strife among brothers. There's a connection between these two passages. And so we're going to take them together this morning. We're going to look at the first section very shortly, very briefly, and then we're going to come look at verses 16 to 19 a little more comprehensively. Notice with me verse 12. A worthless person, a wicked man, is one who walks with a perverse mouth. This is a scoundrel. 
This is the wicked person. This is the person who is literally a man of Belial. And Belial, you remember, is another name for Satan himself. And so, in other words, Solomon is describing here a devilish kind of person, a wicked person, an evil person, a thoroughly depraved person. And what are they like? Verses 12 to 14 describe it for us. They are those who walk with a perverse mouth. Their speech is corrupt. Their language is vile. That their tongue speaks twisted, false, deceitful things. Notice verse 13, they wink with their eyes, they signal with their feet, they point with their fingers. He's talking here about deception, trickery, there's a plot. Verse 14, their hearts devise evil. And notice what it results in in verse 14, it revolts, results in strife. Dividing people rather than uniting them. And notice what happens to the kind of individuals who engage in this. Verse 15 says, therefore, his calamity will come suddenly, instantly. He will be broken and there will be no healing. The kind of person who lives like this, their downfall will be swift. It will be immediate. It will be complete. It will be certain. And they will be destroyed by the very evil that they engage in. This is the danger of this kind of level of wickedness. Well, that brings us to verses 16 to 19, which are really the commentary on verses 12 to 15. And so I want to take some time this morning to work with you with you through verses 16 to 19 because they really give us a greater explanation of verses 12 to 15, and they tell us what God really thinks of those who live like is described in these verses. So we come this morning again to our wisdom university, and our professor is going to teach us on how to hate. That's not popular today. We live in a culture of hate. We live in a culture of vengeance. We're seeing it played out right now in our society with riots. We're seeing people take to the streets and tear down monuments in vengeance and wrath and hate. Listen, we're not promoting that kind of hate, but there is a hate we must have because there are things God hates. And if we're going to love what God loves, then we must hate what God hates. Verse 16, there are six things which the Lord hates. Yes, seven which are an abomination to him. Notice the word abomination here is a word that means disgusting, abhorrent, revolting, nauseating, vile. These are the vices that turn God's stomach. These are the things that cause a violent reaction in God. These are the things that are detestable to God and affront to Him. These are the things that provoke God to anger. These are the things that are absolutely, utterly outrageous to God that ignite within him a holy indignation against such activities. I want you to notice a couple things before we dive into these. I want you to notice, first of all, that this is not a comprehensive list. There are many other things we could add to this list that are not on this list of seven. There are many other vices, many other evils that could be added to this list. This is not a comprehensive list, but this is a device that the Hebrew authors would often use in order to help us remember certain things. It's a way of getting our attention. It's a way of kind of grabbing us by the lapels and pulling up close and saying, listen, pay attention, remember. The second thing I want you to note is that this is a Hebraism meant to highlight the last one in the list. That this is a way that the Hebrew authors would often use to put a, a spotlight on the final item in the list, this X plus one format. In this case, six plus one, it is always done to emphasize the climax, the center, the end, the apex of the list. It's like climbing a ladder. You climb a ladder until you get to the very top rung. That's what we're doing in this list. We're climbing the ladder rung by rung until we get to the very final one in the list. Hold your finger here in Proverbs 6 and go over to Proverbs 30. Let me show you just a couple other places where this is also used. 
in this case, not by Solomon, but Augur. Proverbs 30, verse 15. Notice the middle of verse 15. There are three things that will not be satisfied, four that will not say enough. What are they? Sheol and the barren womb, earth that is never satisfied with water, and fire that never says enough. There's the three plus one format. Look down at verse 18. There are three things which are too wonderful for me, four which I do not understand. The way of an eagle in the sky, the way of a serpent on the rock, the way of a ship in the middle of the sea, and the way of a man with a maid. Skip down to verse 29. There are three things which are stately in their march, even four which are stately when they walk. The lion which is mighty among the beasts and does not retreat before any. The strutting rooster, the male goat also, and a king when his army is with him. Three plus one. Go back to Proverbs 6. This is six plus one. And the final one that he is drawing our attention to in this case is verse 19. One who spreads strife among brothers. This is kind of the apex. This is what God hates. Well, that is an introduction. I want to walk through this list with you. And I want you to ask yourself, how well are you doing in the hating department? Do you hate what God hates? And do you love what God loves? So let me give you these seven deadly sins. Seven things that elicit God's anger and wrath. Seven things that ignite God's holy hatred. First, number one is a disdainful look. First one on the list, it shouldn't surprise us that this is the first one on the, on the list. It is a disdainful look. Look, notice verse 17, very first thing, haughty eyes, raised eyes, literally a person with a superior look. This is the person who is looking down on someone else. This is the person who is, in a word, arrogant, prideful, conceited. This is the individual who thinks that they are a cut above others, who look down their noses at others, who puts themselves up and put others down. This is the person who overvalues themselves and undervalues other people. This is the arrogant, proud, conceited person who's characterized by selfish ambition. Proverbs 30, verse 13 says, There is a kind, oh, how lofty are his eyes, and his eyelids are raised in arrogance. It shouldn't surprise us that this is the first one on the list. Because this is the root sin in all other sins. Pride is what drives us to sin. Arrogance is what drives us to sin. It is the foundational sin in every other sin. And so it's not a surprise that that Solomon puts this one at the very front of the list. God hates pride and he hates arrogance. One writer says this, is there any trait more deceptive? Is there any vice easier to see in others but harder to see in ourselves? We despise its presence in them, but defend its presence in us. It is the ugly trait of pride, one of a number of traits for which God has a special disgust. God hates this. God is disgusted at pride. Look over just a couple chapters to Proverbs 8, verse 13. Proverbs 8, verse 13, the fear of the Lord is to hate evil, pride and arrogance and the evil way and the perverted mouth. I hate. God hates this. Proverbs 16, verse 5, everyone who is proud in heart is an abomination to the Lord. Proverbs 16, verse 18, pride goes before destruction and a haughty spirit before stumbling. You'll, of course, remember what the New Testament writer James says says about this, he says in James 4, 6, God is opposed to the proud, but God gives grace to the humble. God hates it when we're proud. He hates it when we're unteachable. He hates it when we put ourselves up above others. He despises that. 
And you just need to start reading in Genesis chapter 1 or 2 or 3 to figure that out. The very first sin in the universe was pride. When Satan says, I want to be like you, and was thrust out of heaven because of his arrogance. The very first sin committed in the human race was pride and arrogance as Adam and Eve see the prohibited fruit and they say, I'm going to do what I'm going to do. I'm not going to obey God because I want to do what I want to do for myself. That's pride. That's arrogance. This is what happened at the Tower of Babel as the people wished to make a name for themselves. Nebuchadnezzar had to learn the hard way. As he marches on his roof and looks out on the city and says in Daniel chapter 4, Is this not Babylon the great, which I myself have built as a royal residence by the might of my power and for the glory of my majesty? And the words were hardly out of his mouth. And God says, Cow king. And for seven years he ate grass and crawled on all fours. King Herod in Acts chapter 12 on an appointed day, Herod, having put on his royal apparel, look, uh, took his seat on the rostrum and began delivering an address to them. The people kept crying out, the voice of a God and not a man. And immediately an angel of the Lord struck him because he did not give God the glory and he was eaten by worms and died. God hates this. He hates it. Why? Why does he hate it? The reason he hates it because it competes for his glory. And Isaiah says, I will give my glory to no one else. This is why God hates such arrogance, because it usurps the place that God alone deserves and puts man in its place. Pride is essentially a dethroning of God and a deification of man. This is obviously here referring to the wicked. This list in Proverbs chapter 6 is obviously referring to those who are without Christ. But there's a principle here for us believers. Can we not fall into pride? And do we not at times begin to think more highly of ourselves than we ought to think and be characterized by selfish ambition? Does not sin not find its way into our hearts? God hates it. Number two, what else does God hate? Not only does he hate a disdainful look, he hates a deceitful tongue. He hates a deceitful tongue. Look at the next one in the list, verse 17. Haughty eyes, a lying tongue. God hates those who shade the truth. God hates those who lie. God hates those who twist the truth in their favor, who tell half-truths, who play loose with the truth. Those who do that are really telling lies because truth that is shaded is nothing more than a lie. And let's face it, we live in a culture of liars. Right? And we're going to see it only more between now and the first Tuesday in November. It's political ads dominate the airwaves. But it's not just politicians who are guilty of lying. Children lie to their parents. Spouses lie to each other. Employees and bosses lie to one another. And oftentimes, the greatest expression of a person's depravity is what comes out of their mouth. One of the ways that you can often identify the depth of a person's depravity is by their speech. In fact, Jesus said in Mark chapter 7, he said, that which proceeds out of the man, that is what defiles him. For from within, out of the heart of men, proceed evil thoughts and fornications and thefts and murders and adulteries and deeds of coveting and wickedness as well as deceit. God hates this. He hates dishonesty. He hates deception. He hates falsehood. He hates misrepresentations. He hates lies of all sorts. Listen to Proverbs 12, verse 22. Lying lips are an abomination to the Lord, but those who deal faithfully are His delight. 
Listen to Zechariah 8, verse 17. Also, let none of you devise evil in your heart against one another, and do not love perjury, for all these are what I hate, declares the Lord. God hates liars. Why? Let me give you a couple of reasons. First of all, it hurts others. Lying destroys relationships. Proverbs 26, 28, a lying tongue hates those it crushes, and a flattering mouth works ruins. You want to destroy your family? Be a liar. You want to destroy your church? Be a liar. You want to destroy your business? Spread lies. Lies destroy people, and God hates it. But there's probably a more important reason why God hates lies, and it is this. It is the the fact that God Himself values truth. God is truth. His Word is true. There is nothing in God that is not true. He is the source of all that is true, and His nature and His character reflect truth. And so when someone tells a lie, they're conducting themselves in accordance with Satan. And Jesus confronted this with the Pharisees in John 8, 44. He says, you're of your father, the devil. When he lies, he speaks out of his own character, for he is a liar and the father of lies. When you tell a lie, you are conducting yourself in the same way Satan does. Your actions are satanic. That's why God hates this. It's the very opposite of his nature and his character. Remember Romans chapter 3 where Paul is listing that list of evidences of our depravity? None are good. There's none who seek after God, none who are righteous, none who are holy. And he goes and gives this anatomical catalog of vices that manifest a person's depravity. And the very first one on the list is their throat is an open grave and they use their tongues to deceive. God hates this. We've told our kids many times, listen, if you do something you're not supposed to, if you're disobedient... We're going to discipline you in love, but if you lie about it on top of it, your consequences are going to be far worse. Because if you learn to lie, you establish a pattern for the rest of your life. So we try to imprint upon our kids' hearts how much God hates lies. There is a digital age equivalent of a lying tongue. It's lying fingers on social media. This is the new expression of the lying tongue. It's a platform for all kinds of deceptive speech and lies. Do you recognize that? Are you a truth teller? Because if you're not, then you need to understand, you, you, you may be a believer in your love, but you need to understand that God hates that sin profoundly. Number three, he hates a deadly hand. So a disdainful look, a deceitful tongue. Number three, he hates a deadly hand. Look at verse 17, haughty eyes, a lying tongue, and hands that shed innocent blood. He's referring here to violence. He's referring here to things that can lead to murder, uncontrolled anger and vengeance, which when carried out lead to death. So you want to know what God thinks of riots in our country? He hates them. You want to know what God thinks of civil unrest where there's vengeance and anger and wrath and the taking of lives as people protest? It despises Him. He despises it. It's detestable to God. He hates hands that shed innocent blood. Go back to Proverbs 1 just for a moment. Just the first 
uh, first part of this book that we began looking at a few weeks ago. Notice Proverbs 1, verses 10 to 12. And remember again what Solomon warned his son about. He said in verse 10 of chapter 1, My son, if sinners entice you, do not consent. If they say, come with us, let us lie and wait for blood, and let us ambush the innocent without cause. Let us swallow them alive like Sheol, even whole as those who go down to the pit. Solomon says, you watch out for those individuals. Don't let them seduce you and entice you into that kind of activity. It's trouble, and God hates the shedding of blood. Go back to Proverbs 6. How much does he hate it? He gave a commandment that prohibited it. The sixth commandment, you shall not murder. By the way, it's not you shall not kill. There's appropriate times for that. This is you shall not murder. You should not, un, in, an in a premeditated way, take someone's life. And how much does God hate this? Revelation 22, verse 15 says, outside, meaning outside of the eternal state, outside of the new heavens and the new earth, are the dogs and the sorcerers and the immoral persons and the murderers. It's easy for us at this point to say, well, I've never murdered anybody. I would never do that. In fact, I'll never do that the rest of my life. None of us here, I believe, are guilty of murder. If you are, you should probably tell us that. Just kidding. But what about, have you ever murdered someone with your words? Your anger? Because you remember what Jesus said in Matthew 5? He confronted them. He confronted the Pharisees and he says, You've heard that the ancients were told, You shall not commit murder and whoever commits murder shall be liable to the court. But I say to you that everyone who is angry with his brother shall be guilty before the court. And whoever says to his brother, you good for nothing, shall be guilty before the supreme court. And whoever says, you fool, shall be guilty enough to go into the fiery hell. See, it's not just murder that God prohibits and hates. It is the anger that drives such actions. God hates such vengeance and he hates such anger because it harms people made in His image. Husbands, wives, you're murdering each other with your words. Parents, children, you're murdering each other with your angry speech. Number four, a depraved heart. A depraved heart. God hates a disdainful look. He hates a deceitful tongue. He hates a deadly hand. Number four, he hates a depraved heart. Verse 18, a heart that devises wicked plans. God despises this. And we've said it many times, what is the heart? The heart is your command center. It, it's who you are in the inside. It, it's the, the spring of life. Proverbs 4.23 says, guard your heart for from it flow the springs of life. Your heart is the center of who you are. It's where you live life out. You're, you're not the sum total of your actions on the outside. You are the sum total of your desires and intentions on the inside and the actions that compel or come from them. So your heart is the real you. It's your inner person. It's where your life is ultimately lived out. That's not why, it's why you can't separate the action from the desire. There's a movement even today, some within evangelicalism, saying you can, it's not bad to have sinful desires. I've heard these discussions in the case of sexually inappropriate conduct. It's okay to have the desires as long as you don't act on them. Not a chance. Not a chance, because it's the heart that drives the actions, and God is as concerned, if not more concerned, about the heart than He is the actions. God hates hearts that devise wicked plans. The word devises is a word that means to plow. 
to plow, like a farmer plowing his field, preparing it, planning for it, ready to to seed it, ready to put the, the seeds in and see the crop grow. It's a preparation phase. And just like a farmer plans to plant his crops, there are people who devise wickedness in their hearts. They plan for it. They prepare for it. They think through it. They hatch up plots to hurt people in their hearts. It's where it starts. This is why God flooded the earth. And only eight people survived. Genesis 6, 5 says, God saw that the wickedness of man was great in the, in the earth and that every intention of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually Why did God destroy this world with a flood? Because the intentions and the thoughts and the desires of all humanity, save eight, were wicked and defiled and depraved, and God hates it to the point that He destroyed this earth with a flood. God hates evil thoughts and evil deeds. He hates the evil plans that brew within people's minds. Proverbs 15, verse 26, evil plans are an abomination to the Lord. I read this verse earlier, but Psalm eleven five: the Lord tests the righteous and the wicked, and the one who loves violence his soul hates. Why? Because this shows a heart that is completely depraved. This shows a heart that is completely sold out to evil and wickedness. One writer says evil thoughts are a sure sign of evil hearts, and evil hearts are a sure sign of evil people who have turned their backs on their good creator. God hates wicked plans devised in the hearts of wicked people, but let's not get ourselves off the hook too quickly. your heart's been completely pure this week? Let's just be honest. At times as believers, sometimes we plan evil things in our minds. Someone does something to us and we go through this process in our minds of cultivating and planning, even if it doesn't come to fruition, what we would want to do to that person in retribution and vengeance, and God hates it. Number five, a delinquent foot. A disdainful look, a deceitful tongue, a deadly hand, a depraved heart. Number five, a delinquent foot. Verse 18, God hates a heart that devises wicked plans and feet that run rapidly to evil. This is similar to the previous one, but this gets at now the action. The previous one was the heart that devises the plan and the wickedness. Number four was the heart that is thinking about and meditating on and planning for some kind of wicked response. And here now in number five, at the end of verse 18, is the actual carrying out. So we move from planning in number four to doing in number five. We we move from the thought of it to the action of it. Here in verse 18, it's the feet that run rapidly to evil. God hates it. Again, back in Romans 3, verse 15, in that anatomy catalog of depravity of man, there is this statement, their feet are swift to shed blood. It's a quote from Isaiah 59. So Paul, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit in Romans 3, is saying that what was true of apostate Israel is indicative of the depravity of all mankind in that their feet are swift to shed blood blood. A person who actually wants to carry out and does carry out their wicked plans is detestable to God. Number six, a dishonest witness, a disdainful look, a deceitful tongue, a deadly hand, a depraved heart, a delinquent foot. Number six is a dishonest Witness, look at verse 19, a false witness who utters lies. You say, didn't we already cover this one? Isn't this the second one we looked at? This one's a little different. This one's a little unique. It's the same idea of lying, but now it's in the context of a dispute. 
Now it's in the context of a court case. This is the witness who's on the stand who swears to tell the truth and nothing but the whole truth. So help me God. And on the stand lies. Or it could be another dispute. It could be someone who you are in a dispute with, maybe not in the court of law. This is a person who assassinates people's character. These are character assassins with their words. Not only are they spreading lies about certain situations, they're actually spreading lies about people in a way that is a false testimony about them, and God hates it. Proverbs 12, verse 17, he who speaks truth tells what is right, but a false witness deceit. Proverbs 19, verse 5, a false witness will not go unpunished, and he who tells lies will not escape. Proverbs 21, 28, a false witness will perish, but the man who listens to the truth will speak forever. Obviously, this means if you're ever summoned to court, you need to tell the truth, but there's far more at stake than just this. Are you running anyone down by your slanders, your gossips? Are you doing anything to in any way assassinate their character in the eyes of other people because of lies that you are spreading about them? God says, I hate it. It is detestable to me. Number seven, here's the top rung of the ladder. We've climbed six rungs. We come now to the apex, the top of the ladder, the climax, the point, the emphasis, the spotlight. Here's what Solomon is trying to put the spotlight on. Why does God hate all of these things? Number seven, because of a divisive spirit. A divisive spirit. Verse 19, a false witness who utters lies and one who spreads strife among brothers. The kind of people who stir up conflict in their families, who stir up conflict in their church, in their community, in their workplace. The schismatic, factious, contentious, divisive, disruptive person God loathes. He hates it. This is what this person usually results in. Strife among brothers. Notice verse 14. Look up just a few verses. At the end of verse 14, here's where that statement ended as well. Who spreads strife? Such strife does great damage to relationships. Proverbs 16, verse 28. A perverse man spreads strife and a slanderer separates intimate friends. Proverbs 17, verse 14, the beginning of strife is like letting out water, so abandon the quarrel before it breaks. Proverbs 26, verse 21, like charcoal to hot embers and wood to fire, so is the contentious man to kindle strife. God hates this because God loves unity. He loves it when brothers and sisters dwell in unity. Psalm 133, verse 1, how good and how excellent and how wonderful it is when brothers dwell in unity. Why why do you think there's so many statements in the New Testament about the importance of the body of Christ being unified, be of the same heart, the same mind? Let there be no divisions among you. Be diligent to preserve the unity of the Spirit and the bond of peace. Reject the factious person after a first and second warning. God loves unity. He is united. He is a trinity, one God and three persons dwelling in perfect unity. It's part of His nature. It's part of who He is. And so God loves that which reflects His nature and His character. He loves when His people are unified, and He hates it when there's divisions and there's factions. You are never more like Satan than when you sow discord. You are never more devilish in your conduct than when you create factions around you, when there's strife, when there is a litany of relationships behind you that lead to strife. 
One writer says, troublemakers take delight in stirring up fights between various parties. Petty jealousies can embitter families. False rumors can undermine and divide churches. Many units of society can be broken by the troublemaker who shoots his poison of strife into the midst of his group, end quote. Brothers and sisters, is there strife all around you? In your homes? In your relationships here? That does contention and division follow you? So look at your heart. Because God despises the one who separates people. It's quite a list, isn't it? Seven things God hates. Not just hates, He despises them. They're detestable to Him. They ignite His wrath and His fury. And if you're here today and you don't know Christ and some of these things characterize you, the only way to be free from this is to repent and place your faith and trust in Christ. And if you're a believer here today and you find yourself falling into these things and you know that God hates those things, then the only solution is for you to hate them like He hates them. To love what He loves, to be outraged by sin, to abhor it, to not just have a mild aversion to it, but to absolutely hate it. Let's be like God. Let's love the things He loves, and let's hate the things He hates. Lord, we need to hear hard truths. Hard preaching makes soft people. Soft preaching makes hard people. And so, Lord, we we pray that you will soften our hard hearts, if they are that, by these truths which have sharp edges. And we ask, Lord, that we would learn to be better haters better haters of our own sin, better haters of the things that you hate, better haters of the vices that creep into our hearts and our lives and our marriages and our families and our churches and our workplaces, wherever it might be. Lord, let us hate what you hate so that we can love what you love. Father, we praise you for your hatred. We confess we don't talk enough about this. We don't speak enough about this because we live in a culture that just loves to talk about your love. But God, let us be reminded of the fact that you're a holy, righteous, jealous God. And you will not tolerate sin. Let us remember, Father, it's not just sin that you send to hell, it's people. If there are any in our midst this morning who might be characterized by these things as a lifestyle, God, draw them to yourself, soften their hearts, and bring them to Christ. For the rest of us, Lord, let us choose wisdom over folly as we're faced on a daily basis with numerous opportunities to engage in a wicked world. Lord, let us run towards what is holy and righteous and flee that which you hate. Lord, let us never entertain ourselves with the things that you died for, for your honor and glory. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. You've been listening to a sermon by Pastor Todd Dykstra, teaching pastor of Maranatha Bible Church in Comstock Park, Michigan, where we exist to display God's glory, declare God's truth, delight in God's Son, and disciple God's people. No part of this digital file may be reproduced or distributed without prior written consent. For permission, go to mbcmi.org.